I feel like I'm on a playground. I haven't had to crawl around the room to get back over to the desk here after I get all the programs running on the laptop. I just sit here and watch. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's it's great. Oh, man. Yeah, dog, my dog, up in my face as I'm crawling around. Every time. Every <laughs> single time. It's it's quite a show, and I'm, I got a front row seat. Sweet. All right, well, we're back in the studio. Uh, we're the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, practical application for the good of the church. Uh, I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. You like the emphasis I on did. the there? Yeah, we, we got imitators out there. And I also point. didn't let you. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. I was getting ready to give you a hard time for that. That was supposed to be my intro. You know, Lance never lets me do anything. I wanted to pick, I picked as our theme music, I wanted to do The Office theme song and he wouldn't let us do it um <laughs> couldn't get the rights to that so he picked the music he does the intro well you know i don't even know why i'm here sometimes okay well i want to hand this part of the episode over to tj well um and at least let him get into why we're doing this episode yeah thanks for let me say something um the <laughs> This is really exciting for us. We actually had um, a listener request. Somebody had asked us if we might um, dig more deeply into the subject of hermeneutics, um, which is it's great for us because we need that feedback um, to be able to say, like, okay, what did we gloss over that might be worth digging into? What needs to be um, hashed out a little bit more? Because we could do this for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, but we want to make it relevant. We want to make it um, practical, um, applicable for the church, for the, the the listener. And so this is really exciting for us. We, we were asked, could you dig more deeply into hermeneutics? What do you mean by hermeneutics? How do you actually do hermeneutics? How do you interpret scripture? And so that's what we want to do. We want to kind of uh, unpack. We've spent a lot of time discussing scripture, um, and before we jump into another mini series on doctrine or theology, we want to spend some time looking at actually how to do the art of interpretation, which that's yeah. what hermeneutics is. Yeah, the art of biblical interpretation. Beautiful so, word, yeah, by the so, way. Oh my goodness, that you know, word is oh, it's so pure. I didn't do my research on this, and I should have, but I know that it comes from what. Which mythological? It's from Hermes, Hermes. right? Yeah. From the um, the messenger god, like that yep. brings the message forth, and so that's, that's absolutely what, right. That's what hermeneutics is. Is, is I didn't more... I didn't do my research <laughs> on that, but let me pull this out. Well, of, yeah, it's uh... a good thing that Lance did do his research or just knows it because he's able to guide me in the right direction. Uh, yeah, so this comes from this idea of bringing the message, bringing the message from the text to the surface, right? Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to interpret the meaning of the text. So that's our goal as we do this hermeneutics. That's what hermeneutics is. Yeah, and go back. Yeah, go back and listen to our previous episode on Bible translations. These kind of go hand in hand here. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting the right Bible translation that you mm-hmm. own and it's your copy that you can read and that you can study. Well, now that you have it on your desk, um, th- this is how you get the most out of it. That's right. That's right. And and this is by the way, hermeneutics or interpreting scripture, that's a task for everybody every time we open the word of God. Everybody. Everybody. Like like it's not just okay, I'm going to listen to the preacher who's done all the hermeneutical work and I'm going to sit there, but 
even as you read the text, as you read the newspaper, you are doing hermeneutics. Nobody reads the paper anymore. As you're reading Twitter, um, as you're reading the Facebook post, the blog, the um, the timeline on the ticker on the bottom of the, your favorite news channel, you are interpreting those words. You are right? absolutely. You are analyzing it. Constantly. You are interpreting it. You are thinking about it. You are critically thinking about yes. it. It's communication, right? Like that's what we're, we're communicating. So for us to understand the message, that's what we're attempting to do. We're, we're attempting to understand and interpret the meaning of the text. So Lance, I, I, I've said a couple of times this idea of the meaning of the text. And we talked about interpreting. Um, where do we go? How do we begin this process of, of actually, and, and what is the meaning of the text? How do I know what the meaning of the text is? Yeah, well, you're going to have to study it, okay. and you're going to have to use some principles. You're going to have to use some guidelines, um, essentially a, a science of interpreting the Bible, right? You, so we're going to lay out probably a handful or so yeah. pr- uh, principles um, that will set you on the right path or guide you to opening up the text, turning to Philippians or turning to Revelation and be able to implement uh, these points or these guidelines um, to interpret and get the meaning of the scripture. I, I love it how uh, MacArthur and Steve Lawson always say it that uh, the meaning of the scripture is the scripture. In other words, if you don't get the meaning correct, you don't have the scripture. And if you don't That's have right. the scripture, you don't actually have God's word. That's so, right. uh, look, we understand that we can't understand every little nuance of scripture, but. We also understand the importance of, of getting it right, not for the sake of, oh, I got this right and you got this wrong, but so we can understand and know uh, yeah. the, the revelation of that's, God. That's right, because God has revealed himself. I mean, we've said this. If you haven't listened to our discussion about revelation, part of our bibliology series, it's worth doing because this is all related to that. Uh, but that's exactly right. We are attempting to interpret the scriptures correctly, not to... Um, increase our pedigree as theologians, but rather to know God, right? Like if we have misinterpreted or misunderstood God's revelation, we are misunderstanding God himself. And right. that's our goal. We want to know God. That's that's kind of the driving force behind our theology. Theology is worship. Theology is knowing who God is. And so that's why as we open the word of God, we take it seriously enough to say, how has God revealed himself and what does he mean? Yeah, that's right? good. All right, so let's dip into some of these points here. The first one um, is uh, what we would call the analogy of faith. Okay. The what, analogy of faith. What in the world does that mean? You, is this like, like this is, you, you're saying this is our number one, like if I'm going to interpret scripture, I need to know the analogy of faith. Well, already yeah, this you've is confused our go-to. me. So what, what, is that, what do you mean? Yeah, I, I think an easier way of presenting, mm-hmm. presenting that is uh, that Scripture interprets Scripture. I thought thought we were interpreting Scripture. (laughs) Yeah, we are. We're letting the Scripture interpret itself. We're letting the Scripture speak. Um, And we want to do that um, by allowing Scripture to be a safeguard for itself. In in other words, we want to approach the text knowing that it is from God, therefore it is consistent, and we want to allow all of Scripture to interpret uh, the minute details and the minute points of of scripture okay so you you mentioned there i want to touch on this you mentioned that scripture is consistent which would 
makes sense, especially as we've highlighted this before, that scripture is a reflection of who God is, right? Reflection, uh, it's a reflection of God's character. And so if scripture is inconsistent, then God has been inconsistent in how he has dealt with us and how he has revealed himself. It would almost be that God is misleading. God is um, not wholesome in his revelation. And so we know be, based on the character and nature of God that scripture must be consistent. In other words, we're not going to in, we're not going to run into doctrines and passages that cannot they can't go together, they can't be reconciled, they can't um, they don't build upon one another, right? Like it, that would be impossible in dealing with God. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely impossible um, dealing with God. So what happens if I don't do this? If I if I say I'm going to read this passage of scripture and I get my interpretation and then I roll over to another passage of scripture and deal and come out with an entirely different and conflicting um, interpretation, what what could happen? Yeah, yeah. Well, well yeah. First off, when, whenever there is, um, whenever you've interpreted two different portions of scripture and there happens to be a contradiction in your interpretations, and what's the clear verdict? Well, yeah. you have interpreted that's, something that's right. incorrectly. That's right. That, that's why TJ was explaining the consistency of Scripture is based off the consistency of God. Um, so using that illustration, mm-hmm. when we come across uh, two different texts that seem to be talking about the same thing, but then we have different interpretations from those two texts or different mm-hmm. conclusions from those two texts, that needs to be an immediate red flag. Okay. And if you let Scripture interpret Scripture... That may actually happen in your Bible study, yeah. but allowing the safeguard of Scripture interpreting Scripture, the analogy of faith, you're able to mark that, note that, that's a red flag, something happened in my exegesis, and I need to hash that I out, need I need to back. work that out. Right, right. Okay, so when I'm thinking about what happens, what do I do if I've got two interpretations, and now I've, I'm dealing with, I've got two passages that give me two different um, interpretations that conflict with one another. How do I know which one is right? How do I? How, what do I do? Well, if we're looking at um, trying to stick with this first principle, you would want to go to other portions of Scripture where that same issue is spoken of, and use those texts to help define. Okay. Uh, the situation that you're in with it, you, when you're when you're going back and forth maybe between an interpretation where you, when you're battling through that go to other portions of scripture um, to help to shed light and to identify would, it you would want to go right to the more clear text first right isn't that fair to say that like part of the analogy of faith is to say we want to let clear um, obvious interpretations be used to interpret the more difficult passages. So we we run into passages that say, "Ooh, that's that's tough. What does that posi- What does that mean? Um, I'm having a hard time wrestling with this." Um, instead of trying to come up with the interpretation or understanding with only that passage in front of you, look at other passages that speak, like you mentioned, that speak into that, but speak into it with clarity and precision and make it much more uh, accessible to us. Right? Like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. An example that I can think of is there are a few places, I think uh, Philippians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. In, in those texts, it talks about receiving a, a glorified body or my lowly body being transformed mm-hmm. to a glorious body. Okay. 
well, I, I need some more light shed on that particular text so I can understand and develop a right view and understanding of what the Bible teaches about a glorified body um, mm-hmm. that the Christian receives after they die here. So you could bounce around to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which would probably be the main text on that. But difficult text interpreted by clearer text I mean that, that that's just one example yeah. of what I would do. Yeah. So the how about this example? This is this is one that has shown up in church history. Um, this Where are we is, going? This Where are we going? Colossians chapter one. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter. I'm just kidding. Colossians <laughs> chapter one. I was getting uh, super formal. I, I thought yeah, you were I, serious. I know you were. I was just going to yeah. go with it. No, no. Colossians <laughs> one. This is a verse that we're familiar with. Um, but Paul's writing here, it's a, it's a high Christological passage. But in verse 15, speaking of the Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you run into that phrase, the firstborn of all creation, th- by itself, those words seem to indicate that Jesus was a created being. He was the first and the most preeminent of all of God's created beings. God created everything, and number one on his list was Jesus. Uh, this is what Arius taught. This is the early Christological councils in the fourth century, uh, Council of Nicaea. Like, this is a big deal. Um, and we we can't have a created Jesus. We need a fully divine Jesus. Yeah, well, this right? is where the false religions and the cults That's exactly right. Will, they're going to camp yeah. out here. Mormonism is going to deal with this exact same passage, and they're going to look at this verse and say, see, Jesus was created. He was the first creation. That's what it says, first, it right? It says it right there in the passage. But as we would say, we can't just take that verse on its head by itself and not look at other verses that speak into the same thing. So if I'm going to... Yeah, where would you go? If I'm going to look at where... How do how do I defend against this? Or what am, Well, Hebrews 1 speaks highly of the deity of Christ. Uh, Philippians 2, John chapter 1. Um, what, other, what other passages am I missing? Yeah, well, okay, at least the ones that you're mentioning. Hebrews 1, four verses. Yeah, the first four verses. Right? 1 to 4. Um, the Philippians 2, really 5, five through, through 11. 11. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then John 1, 1 through 5. Yeah. Right? Okay, so just even by the... <laughs> just volume of yeah, verses? Yeah, just the volume yeah. of those passages already sheds light on the one verse here. Yeah, and the, and not just the one verse, even the one phrase, right? right. Like, what does it mean, the firstborn of all creation? Well, th- it can't just mean that he was the first created being. I mean, we've got other passages that speak of the eternality of Christ. We've got a, um, a systematic um, approach to reading other passages that suggest Christ is indeed eternal. Um, Hebrews speaks of him being the same yesterday and today and forever. Well, he he did not show up on the scene um, after um, or, or at some point in creation, right? So so we know using the analogy of faith, using scripture to interpret scripture, that now when I read the firstborn of all creation, it doesn't mean he was the first thing created. He was the first being created because that's inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Right? John 17, 5, Jesus' own words, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. So how can that uh, be? It, another cl- a clear exactly, passage to exactly. explain the Colossians 1. Exactly. That's And that's a great reference for us to say, okay, the if, if I've got conflicting verses, which one can I interpret in light of the other one? Well, this one I can interpret to say, by firstborn of creation, well, in the first century, firstborn was a 
way of highlighting the preeminence, right? The he is the of all of the siblings, the firstborn is the one that gets the most glory. The firstborn is the one that has the highest seat at the table. Like there's there's uh, an exaltation that comes with being the firstborn. So that doesn't mean the first actual being to be birthed. What it means is the one that gets the most privilege, the one that gets the most honor, the one that gets the most praise. He is the um, preeminent highest ranking in all of creation. Right, yeah. Revelation chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. And then it goes on in Revelation chapter 1 to clearly show that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. That's right. Gosh, Having having Lance around would be so helpful anytime I'm having it. I mean, that guy just boom, 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 all over the Bible. So nice. Um, in, in fact, Lance, we were also— Don't Bible quiz me now. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So we, we've talked about the analogy of faith, but I think the other really helpful tool, especially just staying with the same passage um, in Colossians 1, is is context, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, yeah, our, our first approach, what, what does Scripture speak on this anywhere else? And if so, where? Then obviously see what the Scripture teaches. But even in this passage, if you just continue reading um, in, in Colossians 1, you, you'll come across the context itself clearly indicates that Jesus Christ was not created. Here's why. The, the, the very next verse, verse 16, says, For by him all things were created. They're in the couldn't, yeah. couldn't mean himself. And then in verse 17, right. it says, And he is before all things, mm-hmm. and in him all things consist. So, I mean, the eternality of Christ is just all over yes. Colossians 1. But if you isolate the text that you started with, TJ, down there in verse uh, 15, 15 mm-hmm. okay, well, that's when heretical teaching, heretical beliefs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, begin to form. Yeah. Don't isolate. That's that's exactly right. It always has to be read in its context um, to understand what the author, in this case Paul, is trying to say. He's trying to exalt Christ, and he by saying firstborn, he's not talking about his birth or his creation. He's talking about his rank. Rank. He's he's the highest, right? So that we we learn that. We have two checks and balances. We have two guardrails in place. We have the context surrounding it, and we have other biblical texts that speak into that to help us in that regard. Sure. Right? Okay, moving on to, uh, I think, our next point here in hermeneutics um, when interpreting Scripture. Uh, Point number two, interpreting the Bible literally. What do you mean? You you know I can't you know I can't let let you off the hook like that. <laughs> Interpreting the Bible literally. So um, when John says that he that he it, that he has no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth, is he talking about his literal biological children, <laughs> or is he talking about how could he be talking about anything else? You said to read the Bible literally. Yeah, that, that's a good reference, by Thank the way. You. Yeah, yeah. See, and I can is, do it too every now and then. Yeah, I mean, there is joy. Yeah, just to <laughs> talk. That was Second John, right? That Second John. Uh, I, I think, think it's that, Third John, but it might be Second John. Uh, see, look at what one you of those, did. It's one of those tiny letters. Yeah, from John. Let's say it's both. Um, oh, that, that was actually third John, verse four. I have no greater joy it was than, third? than to hear oh, my children man. are walking in the truth. You're going to kick me off the <laughs> podcast now. Well, let's see. I if, was one page off. That, well, that's not good enough. I just I just hyped you up. Okay, so when, when interpreting uh, the Bible literally, um, 
we want to approach the text like we would approach any other text. Mm-hmm. We want to approach Scripture like we would approach a conversation. Right. Um, and to 2019 that, when TJ texts me that says that he is on his way over to record these episodes, I, I, I my natural we, way to react to that is literal. He, yeah. he, he is on his way. There's nothing in that text, nothing in an email, mm-hmm. uh, nothing in the phone conversation um, that would cause me to take that in any other way but literally first. Right. That that's so you're saying that's just communication. Like that's we communicate with a literal sense. Like that's that's how words are meant to to point us in a literal like when I use a word I'm I'm I mean that word. I mean the phrase. I mean that sentence. Yeah, I I think God he reveals himself in Genesis 1, 2 and 3 literally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's telling Adam to go do specific things. Right? He's walking and talking and communing with them. He's not he's not being sarcastic. He's not, you know, allegorizing his yeah. own words. He's, yeah, the the words that he tells him to do, it's it's not there's not some deeper meaning, right, that he has to Adam has to figure out. What does he mean? Yeah, you mean? imagine him contemplating when, that. <laughs> when God said to to not eat of the fruit, what does that really mean? When he said to, that I was to name these animals and I was to find, like, what is, what is, what is it? Of course not. Yeah. Like, of course, that's how the Bible is going to communicate the same way other texts communicate. So that is our, uh, that's our first interpretation, um, our first instinct of interpretation, right, is to, um, is to do that. And, and I think it's important, like, this is connected to, as we've spoken of before, this is connected to the inspiration of Scripture. It's connected to the revelation of God. But we we believe that God has inspired every single word of the text. So when He uses a word, we want to understand what that word is, and that word typically is going to be literal. Right. Yeah. Well, that was one of Luther's principles, wasn't it? That's to right. Interpret uh, the Bible in a literal sense, um, because at, at all costs, essentially. Now, did he hold? We were talking about earlier. Did he hold to that on everything, or did he struggle with that principle? No, a little he, bit? there were times whenever he would deviate from that because he he wanted to see Christ in everything. Okay. So he he especially like in the Psalms, he's going to see Christ in certain places. Which again, you're dealing with different genres, different literature there. But Luther was fighting against a medieval um, interpretation system, which was just outlandish, right? Like I mean, he's dealing with guys that are coming up with all kinds of crazy interpretations and he um, trying to recover the word of God as the word of God says, read the word of God for what it is because there's there's real danger in going beyond the word as it says. Yeah, so we, we can clearly learn from those guys in the I think past so. on things that they dealt with yeah. either correctly or maybe even difficulties that he had yeah. maybe putting that principle into action. That's right. Well, at certain times. Are, okay, so kind of on that note, is are there times whenever we maybe shouldn't interpret it literally? Like, you know, okay, I kind of facetiously threw Third John out there. Um, <laughs> we, we we know that when he's writing a letter and he says to my children, he's speaking of, I think that's, okay, 
that's still somewhat literal, but it's saying, hey, these are you are my children in the faith. You're my spiritual children. Um, I, I'm glad to see you're walking in the faith. But how do we how do we deal with other passages that maybe are a little bit more difficult um, to say? How do I interpret this? If I interpret it literally, I, am I going to run into problems? What, what would you say back to that? Yeah, well. Uh... Uh, again, the first approach should be literal, but I mean, yeah, we would make the case that from Genesis to Revelation, everything isn't literal. Right. That there are you're going to come across different passages, different texts, um, different genres. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Where um, taking it literal isn't called for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we would say that we should interpret some portions of the scripture symbolically. Okay. Yeah. And and that's okay for us to do. That's part of hermeneutics. Identify. Part of hermeneutics is identifying those places. That, that's really right? good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, be- because, listen, we're not saying every word has to be interpreted literally, and we're not saying no words are interpreted literally. What we're saying is you begin with literal, and then you filter down from there. That's our first instinct. In other words, you don't resort to a literal reading if nothing else makes sense or if that's what you want. You begin with a literal reading, and then maybe what questions, Lance, what questions should we ask um, that might help us to say, okay, maybe I should move beyond a literal reading. Here. Right. Yeah, I think first off, you could ask, if I take this literal, does it make the passage sound absurd? Like, okay. is it absurd to do what has literally said in whatever passage you're reading? So an example that I've got, uh, Matthew chapter 6, or rather Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, uh, when Jesus is talking about committing adultery, committing adultery in your heart, verse 29 of chapter 5, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. <laughs> well, and then the next verse, verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, well, cut, cut it off. off. Okay, so what do we do with that passage? Is Jesus literally talking about gouging eyes and cutting off body parts? Well, there'd be a, I mean, so you, if I stole something with my right hand or if I, if I looked at something I shouldn't see with my right eye, they, they got to go. Well, I would say, like you said, of course not. Because right? it, it would be absurd. That's absurd. But to back up before we talk about how yeah. absurd that is. Yeah, but part, part of the reason why it's absurd. Yeah, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? right? If right. you go back to other texts, you will find the Old Testament is clearly against mutilation of the body. But then even Colossians chapter 2, uh, mutilating your body, um, asceticism, mutilating your body essentially to gain or produce right. godliness or holiness. Right. Uh, Paul says, no. Yeah, nonsense. No. Right. So so again, checks and balances, the, the Scripture is going to interpret the Scripture. But again, you see, hey, a literal interpretation that if I... If I read this literally, it's it's just it can't make sense. It's going to either contradict scripture or it's going to contradict reason. Okay, right? so if like, you take the Matthew chapter five right. passages and you take them symbolically, does that bring clarity to the text now? Right. Yes. So now I look at this and see if there is something in my life which is causing me to sin. I need to remove that something from my life. Now, Jesus uses the right hand and the right eye. I think. 
there's a reason for that. Um, but if, if there are things that I'm putting in front of my eyes constantly that I don't need to see and they cause me to sin, I need to put those things away from me. I need to basically stop looking at them, uh, stop being around them. If I'm, if I'm doing something with my hands that constantly leads me into sin, I need to stop doing those things. Um, and so it's, it's symbolic in that sense. And that now the, the text makes sense. It brings clarity. It brings um, a, a more appropriate reading. And now Jesus' words have meaning and they have application to my life um, as opposed to an overwhelming, nonsensical approach to a Christian life. Right. Right? Yeah, I've got I, I put an, an extreme example down here on our little outline. But in Revelation chapter 9, during the tribulation period, it talks about a plague of locusts. Um, and this plague of locusts essentially affecting unbelievers for a five-month period. But it goes on to describe the locusts. Mm -hmm. So in in Revelation chapter 9, it says that the locusts, first off, on their heads they were wearing crowns, it says in verse 7. And it says their faces were like the faces of men. It says in verse 8, they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Well... I don't that know sounds what. realistic. <laughs> now, taking that passage literally, clearly, that's absurd. I, I haven't come across any locust. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but no, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The, on the other side, this is this one that came to my mind came to my mind because we love talking about Genesis. But in Genesis one, Jesus, uh, God says that on the first day He created the heavens and the earth. Well. Is that do I need to interpret that day as something beyond a literal twenty four hour day? Right. No, like so because you see that, but I think you would agree with me. The argument here is there's no reason to go beyond literal. No reason because it doesn't sound absurd. That's right. Taking that literally. Because that's how God has communicated it. Now, th- in the context too, we would add. That's right. Like, morning are, and or evening and morning or day one more, evening. And you see the the affirmation later in in Exodus um, when yes. What, what's I, lo- the, I love that. What's the do you, Do you know the the chapter and verse? What's, I figured you were going to jump no. in with that. Uh, it's, well, from, it's chapter 20, I think, verse 11. Don't quote me on is that. Is that it? I, I don't You've know. You've got to look that up. It's either Exodus 19 or 20. Because it's the issue of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Right. But it, the, the Sabbath. Right, that's right. Which they were told to keep is based off of a literal understanding of Genesis 1 and 2. What yeah. do you got? Is it 20? Oh, gosh, let's I think see. it's 19. Is well, it? No. how about this? How about verse chapter 20, verse 11? For in six days <laughs> the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yeah, so That's, Scripture interpreting yeah. Scripture, right. though, very, right. very helpful. That's right. And so and the, the point there is to see that we did not need to divert from a literal. In other words, we don't come to Genesis 1 and say, okay, how do we think that this makes the most sense and start from there? We go with literal. If we have a reason to divert, then we will. If, it, if there's a reason to, if we see symbolic language, if we see um, hyperbole, if we see metaphors being used, then yes, we will interpret those things symbolically. The and Holy fa- Spirit descended like yeah, a dove. Exactly. So of course, that is a, that's a biblical imagery to give us a depiction of what really happened, although it's not actually, the Holy Spirit is not moving in the way that a dove would move. 
Yeah. Right. A like, dove plopping on Jesus's <laughs> head. <laughs> right. Um, even though that's sometimes you see the depictions of that. Um, <laughs> but but the point there, I think, stands that we come with a literal approach and then we change if we need to or we uh, adjust as necessary. Um, and, and I think that's really helpful for us. Okay? Yeah, that's good. So okay. we've, we've hit the analogy of faith. That's our primary function, scripture, interpret scripture. If we're going to do hermeneutics, that's how we have to do it. Um, we've talked about um, a literal approach to understanding the, the, the text itself. Um, what other tools might we put in the tool chest of, of hermeneutics? Grammatical historical method or grammatical historical approach. Now, this is your baby right here, right? Oh, is it? Is, <laughs> is it? it? I thought it was. Oh, well, we didn't talk about this. What do you, you go ahead, set us up. Let me see if I can Okay, well, yeah, we're talking about a grammatical historical <laughs> approach. Um, we want to understand the language it was written in. Yeah. And since most of us can't read Hebrew and Greek, we want to provide ourselves with resources that can help us uh, along the way. And then we would also say the other aspect of the grammatical historical approach would be the authorial intent, which we've talked about in previous episodes, um, the history behind uh, right. the actual letter, um, etc. Yeah, yeah. So you're exactly right. We we need to um, the historical approach, the grammatical historical interpretation of scripture is going to hone in on what is the actual setting of the author. Um, like if, like for instance, Paul writing letters from prison. So he writes Philippians from prison and he speaks of, um, his prison activity. Well, this, he's literally in prison. You've got to understand where he's writing from. Yeah. And that adds weight to that epistle. Exactly. Because he says, I'm content in all circumstances all, right. and all things. Well, it adds weight to that text. Right knowing his circumstance and right. that that preaches it, it does and that's that's part of understanding what's driving the thought behind Paul's writing there and so you have to know what is Paul where is he writing from who is he writing to well he's writing to a church a group of believers in Philippi where he has previously served and done ministry and seen the Lord move in an incredibly powerful way right right so he's dealing with a church a specific church in a specific context and so when he writes the words that he writes we have to deal with those particular words, understanding the grammar, understanding the syntax, the word order, the vocabulary, the intentionality, and you mentioned the author's intent. Right. right. Yeah, so with Luke, writing the Gospel of Luke, he's basically writing two historical documents. Mm-hmm. Luke is chronicling the, the life of Christ. Um, and then when you get to the book of Acts, he's chronicling the first century church. Right. And having Luke 1, 1 through 4 is, man, it's a, it's a foundational yeah. text, just a Bible study, I think, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking about Luke gathering together um, records and eyewitness accounts and putting together a narrative, um, it, it just helps to kind of get in the mind of Luke as he is documenting or basically making an encyclopedia. People right. even buy encyclopedias anymore. My, my older brother had <laughs> no, not with Google an encyclopedia set <laughs> back in the early '90s. Shout man. out, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, no, that's that's all really helpful to understand how what the author is attempting to accomplish and how they are attempting to do it. Um, you, you know, I was thinking about you, we live in 2019, and this is kind of a soapbox that I 
<laughs> no, this was this was this was it. It wasn't the definition a, yeah. of the grammatical no, historical. No, I was method, more concerned. But, yeah, with this saying, is it. I'm more concerned <laughs> with saying this that when we seek to understand scripture, we need to go for. You mentioned authorial intent. There is one meaning to the text, right? Like there's no such thing as well. What this passage means to me is this. And what does it mean to you, Lance? What do you think it means? Like, I don't care what you think it means. Yeah. Like, I love you to death. Well, gladly continue to do a podcast with you, but I don't care what you think it means. I care what it means. Right. right? What did it mean to God? That's right. I, I don't I don't care what it means to you. Um, my wife, uh, Chloe, loves this uh, quote from David Platt because he says, perhaps the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is in a home group in a Bible study because people oftentimes sit around the room and say, well, John, tell me what you think that verse means to you. Well, I don't, I don't care what it means to John. I don't care what it means to Margaret. I care what it means. Right. I care what God meant when he wrote it, divinely inspiring the Holy Spirit, divinely inspiring the um, human author to say a particular thing. There was one meaning, and there still is one meaning. Right, today. and there's value in getting that one meaning because that's where the application comes from. If yes. you jump to, well, what does this mean to me or the immediate so-called application, right. you, you miss the primary purpose of the text, and that is that's to right. no one understand, no one understand rather what God revealed, then you apply that. So there's one meaning, but there could be multiple, multiple. applications or implications. And that is, that is okay. And if you run, you're exactly right, if you run directly to the application, what are you even uh, applying? You, you have to know the meaning. You have to know the actual um, result and interpretation of the biblical passage. In light of that, there are now applications to be made. But if you run directly to application, you're not applying anything. You're actually just taking thoughts or your own misunderstandings or um, presuppositions or your eisegesis into the text, and you're reading ideas in, and then you're saying, okay, now this is how I think I should live as a result of this, when in reality, that's not what the text is communicating. So we run to that. We, we Not only do we miss the meaning and miss the application that God gives for us, but we give ourselves application that isn't biblical. Right. So it's a two. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, and th- this is this is the joy of Bible study, by the way. Yeah. You know, working through hermeneutics, working through Bible study, working through the science of interpret, you know, mm-hmm. of interpreting Scripture. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a beat down. This is a joyful right. activity because you you are getting to know and understand God. That's right. You, like you individually, you know, like this is your communing with God. You are hearing what he is saying, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, this, I mean, goes back to God revealing himself. He's revealed himself in a way where this is possible for the individual. Mm -hmm. So don't let hermeneutics scare you away. Um, This is so accessible, especially in our time. Yes. Yeah, there's so many resources to help. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second. And even before we jump into some of those resources, I think you're exactly right. We have access to I mean, think about the church for the longest time had been told over and over again prior to the Reformation that only the Catholic Church has the proper interpretation. Only the Catholic Church can tell you what the Bible means and when we say it, um that's that's final, right? Like 
the church has never had had never had access to the Word of God itself. That's that's what Luther did. The Reformation was get the Bible to the people. Um, but then there's also value in understanding that doing an hermeneutics and interpretation in with a group of people, right? Like if I'm only in my closet, if I'm the only person that's ever interpreting and I'm not relying on either other theologians or other people in the church, I have a tendency to veer off, right? So like those confessions of faith, um, doctrinal standards, other uh, men of the faith who've gone before us, or even like-minded men today, um, they help keep us from veering off, Mm. right? Um, So I think that that's a good check for us is to say, yes, we have access and a very intimate and personal level and a responsibility at an intimate and personal level. Um, but at the same time, we need to understand there's value in spending time and and balancing that with others who interpret Scripture. Right. Right? Yeah, there, there's so many safeguards. Yes, yes. So many safeguards, so many checks and balances when coming to the Scripture. And we, we've talked about some of those with hermeneutics, Scripture interpreting Scripture, mm-hmm. looking at a liter, literal, grammatical, historical um, method, but even what you're talking about, being around other believers, mm-hmm. looking back throughout the centuries. Um, it, I mean, what a wonderful time that we live in that that stuff is so accessible. That's right. Right? So uh, there really is no excuse to not be progressing towards being a good theologian. That's right. Like, like we said, you can, you can do it. That's right. I, I'm on that journey. That's right. I'm about to really ramp up here in August. You know, yeah. starting seminary, yeah. but it's it's a constant progression. It's a mm-hmm. constant growth, mm-hmm. and we see that even you know with characters in Scripture that are continually That's growing. Right. That's right. Um, Lance, do we have any resources or any um, anything that you would maybe point people to? You know, I know that um, we we had a listener reach out. Say hey, how do I how do I improve in this area? How do we talk in this area? Is there is there anything that you might help point people to? Um, yeah, I was uh, I was actually thumbing through uh, R. C. Sproul's book called Scripture Alone, and then he has another book called Knowing Scripture. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I, I didn't I, know about either. I, I didn't know about either. Of these I books, think so. as far as uh, hermeneutics are concerned, get Sproul's book knowing scripture hmm. it's it's a short easy clear read um the, the points that we hit on are, are basically discussed in reformed theology anyways but he, he he touches on all of those points with more clarity as only sproul can do that's right <laughs> sproul is uh, tremendous at that um i've got a couple of resources here um from my seminary days let's see i've got the introduction, introduction to biblical interpretation, Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard. That's a just kind of a, an overview of biblical hermeneutics. Um, Duvall and Hayes have one also called "Grasping God's Word." These are a little bit more textbook based, um, but a couple of smaller, more accessible books that I've uh, found useful. Um, oh, I see that one. Yeah, yeah, this is one of my favorites. Exegetical Fallacies by D. A. Carson. Uh, a little bit more academic. Um, but really helpful to see some of the pitfalls that we fall into sometimes, okay. right? One like, of my favorite Carson quotes, a text without a pretext is a is a text for a pro- I'm objective. Yeah, what, what was the quote again? No, it, how did Carson say I'm that? Edit That's that really out. interesting. No, you can't edit that out. D.A. Oh, Carson. Oh, yeah, a text without a context is a pretext for a pretext. Okay, so say, th- say it again. Say it again. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Okay. In other words, if yeah, you aren't taking, again, the 
that literal approach and a contextual approach, mm-hmm. then you are setting yourself up for that eisegesis. That's I can make this text mean whatever I want this text to mean. That's right. And that's what we do a lot of times. That's a, that's an exegetical fallacy, if you will. I actually have that quote memorized. I just, uh, do you? <laughs> I totally got locked up on that, man. Uh, another, another resource, kind of the last one here, uh, Basic Bible Interpretation by Roy B. Zuck. It's a practical... Uh, guide to discovering biblical truth. These are just a handful of resources that we've found um, helpful. Um, we could obviously, there's plenty of things out there for us, but it's just a, a helpful. These are helpful tools. As as you mentioned, we're constantly learning, we're constantly growing, we're constantly studying. Um, you, you know, we're, we want to expose ourselves to um, deep thought and to improve in this area as we as we interpret scripture yeah half price books ebay amazon mm-hmm. and you can you can get those borrow, resources. borrow one from my bookshelf just come on by we'd love to talk, talk there are some, library finds though <laughs> that's right okay lance initiative time informants initiative uh let's let's have a a couple of takeaways to wrap this thing up yeah i, I think a takeaway for me would just be consistent be consistent in your approach to studying the bible you want to try and use all of those principles. And what I mean by that, you don't have to have a sticky note next to your desk um, working your way through those things. You could initially, mm-hmm. um, but once you begin using this process and using hermeneutics, um, it'll just become second nature. Right. And you want to be consistent with that. You want to take that same approach, whether you're reading Genesis, um, whether you're reading um, the book of Job, or, you know, I mean, we can name any, any, any book course. there. You just want to be consistent in your interpretation of Scripture. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good word for us, especially because when we talk, think about systematic theology, right? Theology has to be consistent. Um, and if we're cutting and pasting and doing all kinds of stuff with, with the text, we're setting ourselves up for inconsistent approach. Um, my, my takeaway uh, for today, uh, especially with dealing with this issue of hermeneutics, would be, that serious Bible study, um, and, and by that I mean somebody who takes the Word of God seriously, um, somebody who, who really desires to know God and the truth of God in His Word, that, that requires intentionality, it requires effort, it requires time, it requires growth. Um, you, you can't, you're not going to stumble your way into proper interpretation. You're not going to accidentally one day wake up and be like, you know what? I've got it now. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, this is pretty easy. Um, anybody have any questions? Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, it, it requires time. It requires effort. It, it requires some growing pains and, um, it's a journey that we're all on. And my encouragement would be to say, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth the time. It's worth the, turning off Netflix and opening up a helpful tool of a textbook to help me read and prepare to study God's word. And then to open up God's word and say, you know, what? I'm going to spend some time doing this tonight. Yeah. I'm going to turn t- off the, the, the electronics. To do yeah. That. I mean, it is a sacrifice. It so there, there may be some things that you have to set aside and some things you now need to pick up right. to do this. Right. And then that's okay. It's God's it word. That's right. It is. It's well worth it. Um, Well, hey, if you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore informants. If you have any questions or suggestions to help me not put my foot in my mouth when I'm (laughs) quoting D.A. Carson, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 